drove around all day and there's not a single job in this town. There is nothing, nada, zip. Yeah, unless you want to work 40 hours a week. All right, welcome back to another week of Muskies on Tap. We have another guest this week, and this is a big one. Uh, this is going to be all about Jeff Widman with TRO. Max, Brian, and myself got to interview him, and we had a great time chatting it up. You know, he got to learn the whole aspect about the business, you know, everything that he does. He gives out a little bit of background on his fishing back in the, his heyday and, and, you know, where the business is going and where he thinks the future of muskies is going. So uh, we had a, you know, great time talking with him. You can find his podcast. Uh, he does backlash podcast with Brad Hoppy with musky mayhem. Uh, I think they're on all of the same podcasting places that, you know, we're on as well. Uh, if you could give them a follow and listen, that would be much appreciated. I'm sure most of the people out there have probably listened to theirs well before ours even came out. And then there's, of course, TRO, the website. Uh, that's where you get all the custom colors. We, you know, get paints from there all the time. We always have orders in and getting some cool new custom colors is just always fun. You know, I think we talk in there. It's like, does color matter? I don't know. I think it's just the... <laughs> It's just the confidence part, you know. I love love having a musky bait that's just really cool to look at, but also catches fish. So I hope everybody enjoys this interview and let's dial up the conversation with Jeff Woodman. All right, on the line tonight, we have Jeff Widman, the owner of Team Rhino Outdoors and one of the hosts of Backlash Podcasts on with us here tonight. Got Brian and Max with us as well. We're going to do some questions, but first off, Jeff, want to introduce yourself and how are you doing tonight? Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's been a long July, busy July, which is good. You know, the shop's been, you know pumping out a lot of baits. So I'm, I'm happy about that for people that might not know me. My name is Jeff Whitman. I'm the owner of team Rhino outdoors. I mean, technically I'd be like co-owner. My wife owns it with me and uh, you know, we're like typical family run business. I mean, my kids work in the shop most of the time. I had uh, my younger son get fired recently, but he did get hired <laughs> back. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, so there's the family dynamic inside the shop and it's, you know, sometimes can be a little bit difficult working for dad. I would imagine if I was the kids, I'm a little bit hard on them. Sometimes I don't like yell and scream all the time, but I'm trying to, I guess, teach them a little bit of work ethic. Cause my oldest is 17 and then I have a daughter that's 15, my son's 12 and then my other son's nine. So they all have different jobs within the shop. And like I said, we're just trying to teach them. I don't know. I guess a little, like I said, a little bit of work ethic, a little bit of responsibility. I know there's times that the girls for sure, they want to get jobs outside of working for me, but I won't let them yet. <laughs> can you, uh, can you disclose what, what, uh, the son did to get fired? And then I'd also like to hear how he convinced you to get rehired shortly thereafter. Sure. So a couple weeks back, we kind of had a long weekend up North. Uh, we have a camper up on Pelican Lake, 
but I had family that was staying at Lake Ogiebic up in, up in the UP. Mm-hmm. So I went up to, we took a trip up to the UP, a Sunday drive. So we came up to our camper, I think Saturday morning. I wanted to, cause we were going to get back later on Monday. I wanted to ship on Saturday morning yet. Mm-hmm. So then we went up North and then we hung out that day. Sunday, we get up early. We go up to Lake Ogiebic and we hang out there till like 11 o'clock. Well, it's like a two hour drive from there to Pelican. And so my son must have slept there, but then I wanted to get back to Appleton, which is another two hour drive. I'll say Appleton, even though our shops in Shyocton. So I wanted to get back to, to ship at a reasonable time on Monday. So I got everybody up at like six 30. Well, that wasn't enough sleep for him. So he was in the shop and we were like, okay, once we get back, everybody's going to have to be in the shop. We all have work to do. And so he came in the shop and he just had a fit over every single thing. And then finally I was just like, all right, that's it. I can't handle you anymore. You're fired. And then he's like, well, that's perfect. And I can just play with my iPad in the house all day. I said, no, 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 no. Hold on a second. iPad, iPads are a condition of your employment. That's a team Rhino outdoors iPad. So as you walk out the door, your iPad's going to have to stay here. And <laughs> he, he wasn't super happy at all. He left. And then uh, he kept asking for his iPad back for a few days. And I, we had gotten a, like a large shipment of shirts and, and uh, t-shirts and, and sweatshirts in that week. And I said, well, Zach, you know how to do this. If you go and put all the t-shirts and the sweatshirts away, if you group them by size and then you have to hang them on hangers. And then we have the hangers that say like small, medium, large XL on them. I'm like, you got to match those up and you got to get them all hung up. So he checked the whole order and all by himself. And then he asked me, he's like, well, dad, can I get rehired again? I'm like, all right, fine. But you know, your attitude wasn't acceptable on Monday. So if that happens again, <laughs> you're gone. And uh, it was kind of good because I think the other kids thought that they could pretty much do whatever they wanted to, and they wouldn't have to worry about getting fired, but they didn't really like what happened with Zach. So they kind of all straightened up. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Pretty good silver lining there. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, my 17 year old daughter last week, she was in the shop like, all the time so it was perfect it was it was helpful which is good because like i said july has been really busy i've been getting a lot of product product in and and checking it all in so it's been it's been good yeah i know uh i know we've placed a handful of orders in the past few weeks and i always joke with gus it's like uh, what i love about you guys is you know we see a cool bait or something whether it's on instagram or we just we break one of the ones that's been working for us and that, that bad boy's there like the next day. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, you're in, you're in the shop right now. I mean, it seems like you're just, I mean, I, yeah, work ethic is, uh, uh, seems pretty unmatched. My work ethic, I would say is high. My work-life balance is not great. It's been better this year than it probably has been in the past, but Mm -hmm. you know, we'll, we'll use this weekend for example. So, um, I went up North, I went to Pelican, I went like Friday night, but before I left, they took a whole bunch of pictures for updating the website and do a whole bunch of work. So like I got up to Pelican, it was like nine o'clock at night. And then I think I worked until like one o'clock in the morning. And then I got up and I, I put, did some more stuff. And then I finally went fishing at like 10 30 in the morning. And then, so I, I fished until, I don't know, like dinner time, came back, ate quick, did a little bit more work, then went back on the water. Unfortunately, it wasn't a successful you know trip on the water, but like, I don't know, that kind of stuff. Like I still spend more time working maybe than what I would like to. I'd like to dial mm-hmm. back a little bit more. Like like I said, work, work-life balance is something that's definitely, I think for all small businesses, it's kind of a struggle. Yeah. 
What what is right now the extent of you know your ability to fish? I was listening to a podcast you had the other week, and you're talking about you know you're coaching your son's baseball team, and Brian Gus and I we you know did youth sports growing up. I I got to give it to you, parents doing that. I mean, we were traveling every single weekend. It's a lot of time. Um, so between you know doing that, the shop podcast, you know, how much are you able to get out on the water these days? And and you know, have you been able to get out on the water this summer? Uh, so I probably doubled my time on the water with like yesterday's outing and <laughs> it's not always, it's not always like, I don't know how to say this. Like, it's not like my wife is holding me back. She encourages me to go fishing a lot. She's like, mm-hmm. you need to get away. But at the same point, like, so we, I made it up North quite a bit this summer. I've been up to Pelican most weekends. I, my son loves baseball and I'm one of those dads that's, I'm kind of mean dad. I don't let him play tournament baseball. And then they offered, they had like two tournaments that they wanted him to play in. And I was like, I've said no to literally everything. I guess I'll let him play in this. So Mm -hmm. that was two weekends we had away. But like typically uh, I've been up north a lot, but like if my, my schedule, like Monday through Friday, like tonight, I mean, it's 845. I will get done with this podcast whenever I'll go catch up on the remaining orders. And so I might make it in the house by like midnight tonight. Well, I need to go to electrical work tomorrow. I don't do a lot of that anymore. I used to run an electrical contracting business and I still technically I do, but I don't work that much anymore. And so tomorrow I'll go to work. So I got to be caught up before I go to work, but I got to, I'll be up at six tomorrow to go to work. So anyways, long story short, I guess is when I go up North for the weekend, I don't want to get up at five o'clock in the morning to go fishing. Right. And then if I do delay the kids will inevitably wake up and they'll be like hey dad you want to go swimming or you want to go do whatever and i have young kids and i understand that they're not going to be around forever and so i try to spend time with them yet and then you know you'd mentioned the baseball coaching so i have a 12 year old and a nine year old and i coached both their baseball teams this year which takes up a ton of time like our season just finally finished up last week so hopefully now moving forward it should free up some time to get on the water more, but a lot of it's, you know, it's TRO related. It, I right. mean, it's kind of grown beyond what, like I really should have an employee or two, like outside of the, outside of the family, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the issue, the issue I have is our workload will fluctuate so much day to day that there might be days that they wouldn't do much unless there's a bunch of orders that came in because I don't control when our shipments come in. So some days we might get, you know, five companies that drop off baits and then we'll have tons of them around. Well, the next Mm -hmm. day we might get nothing. And then, so there would just be orders to deal with and dealing with just the orders is a lot, but it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not a full-time job for one, for one person to do just that. Right. Okay. So I I guess I'll zoom out, maybe turn back the clock a little bit. Um, And I guess I was just always curious, you know, what spurred the idea of starting team Rhino outdoors? I mean, obviously you we're able to fish quite a bit back in your heyday, I'm sure, which I'd be really curious to to kind of hear more about that. But um, what was the motivation? What were those early days like when you were starting it out? Well, let's I'll start out. The motivation was I had employees with my electrical business and I didn't really like employees. So <laughs> they they and I guess that's a part of the reason why I've been reluctant to hire somebody you have. You have a job to do. You're you know, you have a obligation to customers or whatever. And then you know, they, 
they might not show up on a Thursday or whatever, or they'll come right. in hung, hung over on a Friday and you're like, Oh, well, when are we ever going to get our work done? Like I need to get these jobs done for these customers. Right. And so, you know, I, I don't know, I guess, and let's see, so I'm 46. I started this almost 10 years ago. So I guess at 36, I was like, well, I've been self-employed for, I don't know. I think I'd been in self-employed probably at that time for 12 years. I'm guessing roughly I should probably, think of something that I can do when I get older. And sure. I was like, I, I really have passion for muskies. I love muskie fishing. I always have, I mean, I shouldn't say always, but like, since I got involved in it, it was like, you know, I'm a typical muskie nut. That's all yeah. I thought about. It's all I did. Yeah. I collected lures like crazy. I had custom colors made up by tons of different manufacturers. I mean, I was probably oh. their best customer for the whole, you know, for, for the time that I was buying baits <laughs> like crazy. It was, you know, I mean, I would spend, more money than I should ever have on baits. But <laughs> Feel I, that. Yeah, you got that problem. <laughs> so I was like, all right, if I start this thing, maybe by the time I'm like 45, it'll be eh, some, you know, something. Maybe it'll have taken off by then. Sure. And my electrical business was going really well. So I, I had extra money to burn basically on the inventory. So I mean, I'll, we'll go a couple different ways to the story. So inventory sure, wise, yeah. inventory wise, like I was also pretty naive. I thought eh, if you had $50,000 in inventory, that would stock up a store pretty good. And that was so far off. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like that was, it was a terrible thought in my head. I can't believe I ever thought that would be okay, but it was, it was not okay. <laughs> I, I'm um, assuming that it's probably, the number is probably much larger. And it, it, it honestly reminds me of like when Gus and I will look in his wrecking rack and we'll be like, how much money worth of baits do you think is in here? And like, you know, you, it almost makes you sick if you actually start counting it lure by lure and like <laughs> that's, all that's that like, money came out of my wallet. <laughs> Jesus. That's the most common question asked by anybody stepping in my boat is immediately when that thing opens at first, they don't even see like what it is. I'll open it up and they're like, Whoa, how much is in there? And I'm like, you don't even want to know. It's like, <laughs> how much is each one of those baits? Like 15 bucks. I'm like, no, 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 no. no. If you bought them 10 years <laughs> yeah, yeah right exactly not many of them so were sorry. bought and but sorry sorry to cut you off there uh yeah so anyways the number is quite a bit larger than the fifty thousand dollars anticipated mm-hmm. um but like i said the electrical business was going well so i could afford to do it and so that's kind of how it that's kind of how it started i didn't really like the employee thing this was going to hopefully be a chance to get out of that when i didn't feel like climbing in attics and roughing in houses when it's 85 degrees out or, you know, five degrees out, depending on which extreme we're going with. So that's kind of the road. That's, that's what really started it. And then I, I guess for me, I, I had a lot of connections within the industry already. I'd worked at shows with them. And then I also had, like I said, I'd done a bunch of different custom colors, but instead of doing 50 at a time, like we do now, we would do one-offs, you know, with these various manufacturers and so I went to a few of them and I'm like, you know, I got this idea. I want to be able to get cool baits all year round. I don't want to have to go chase them down at a show. And I wish there was some place that you could do that. And there was a few places that did custom stuff, but they didn't do, they didn't do customs in every single bait. And right. they maybe had like three or four custom colors, you know? So then they, they sometimes would rotate those out through a season. But quite honestly, I think I owned every one of them throughout most of these places. <laughs> I mean, most of my competitors, I was one of their best customers. So that's funny. So that's that's where I went with it. And I was like, you know, worst case, I could probably unload the inventory for what I bought it for. It would just be a bunch of time invested. And that was the early days of it. Now, Mm -hmm. 
you know, so once we got the ball rolling, we started out with, I don't know, you went to our website, there'd be like one type of bucktail and a couple of medusas in like four colors. Cause initially wow. I didn't do, I didn't do any stock stuff. I only did custom colored stuff. Like I honestly had never dreamt that I would go down the road of stock colors. That just isn't my thing. It doesn't really excite me, but I had a couple of customers that were, that asked me like, how come I can't get a black nickel bucktail with you? And I'm like, well, that's just not what we do. Like, and right. the other thing too is, to be 100% honest, I didn't want to step on the toes of my competitors. I I wanted to carve out my own niche. That was my deal. I didn't, right. I like, if you're buying black and nickel bucktails from XYZ company, you're still going to buy it from them. You're not buying it from me. I don't have it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, fast forward to five years, we started to gain some traction and the other companies took notice. And so they wanted to start to come into our custom colored niche and they would start to expand their offerings there. And I was like, my only recourse now is to just go after everything where I was, I wasn't trying to do that. I was just trying to carve out my own mm-hmm. slot within, within the industry, you know, to be, uh, like I said, to be honest with everybody, I didn't ever think it would ever even get to the level that is at right now. It's, I mean, it's great. I'm happy. It's fun. Yeah. But I didn't think it would get here. Like I, like, um, I won't tell you the number, but I, a while back, I'm good friends with Steve Jensen who guides up in Hayward and he, he's helped me along the way. And he kind of thought I was an idiot when I first started this whole thing. He's like, what are you doing? And he probably still thinks I am an idiot and he's right, honestly. (laughs) But (laughs) so he, he's like, well, what's your goal with this business? Like, what are you hoping to sell? And I, so I told him the number he's like, there's no way you're going to sell that. He's like, well, I'm like, well, Steve, I could shoot you a number. That's half that. But I'm like, then I can attain the goal right away. And great. That, that yeah. was fun. You know, I'm like, if I'm going to shoot for something, I'm going to shoot for something that's a little bit, a little bit tougher to attain. And so in 2020, we finally attained the goal and, and then we've been able to maintain and grow on that goal, um, every single year since. So it's continued to grow. It's continued to be good. It's, it's been a fun road. And so that's kind of the start. I don't know if you guys have specific questions about it. You know, I could, without holding, without taking over the show, I could tell you that, you know, like we started out in the basement in, in my house and we just had a couple of racks of baits. There was, you know, I don't know, like we'd put like three grid wall panels together and there'd be a couple handful of baits on each one. And then as we grew, we kind of, we kind of added a few more of those racks and, and, and moved on. And my wife, she works at a school. So she would go to like to the mail room and grab the, like the old boxes that they would, that they were looking to recycle. So she'd fill up the back of her suburban with a whole bunch of these boxes. And if we had to p- ship out a package, we would just sort through this stack <laughs> in the basement, trying to find the right one, whatever fit. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> and it, and eventually it got to the point where, Oh, well this, so she, one night kind of jumping around a little bit. One night I'm down in the yeah. shop, you know, all the time or for the, for a while that night, she's like, what are you doing down here? I'm like, I don't know. We're pretty busy today. Like and, and busy back then was, you know, drop in the bucket compared to busy now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and she's like, well, do you want some help with this? And this, like in the day, we weren't even like printing out labels to ship. We would hand write every single label out to ship. So, wow. so I'd have to write everybody's addresses down and then I'd have to take them to the post office and then I'd have to wait there for them to tell me how much I paid them. And then I'd have to pay them with a credit card every single day. So it's just kind of a, wow. a, a rude, a crude, rude setup from, from where we've come now. And then, you know, so the getting back to the boxes and finally I'm just like, there's gotta be a better way. So then we started to source out like 
just boxes that we buy in like 25 packs and, you know, just think just steps along the way that the business has grown much like any business, you know, the way you start out, hopefully isn't the way you finish. And -hmm. I'm sure that there's still processes that we can do better on now that we, uh, that we need to work on yet. Yeah. So I just wanted to hit on, you said you had worked with like various manufacturers in the industry, especially when you were starting out to create these custom colors, were you like designing them yourself and like coming up with different patterns and everything? And if so, how's that process? How did that work and how does it still work? Uh, yes, we still do. That's how we started it. I would say like, Hey, why don't you kind of, we'll, we'll take, maybe we would take their stock perch pattern or, or whatever, just to throw a thing out there. And I would say, why don't you change these bars to this color, this belly to this color, the back to this color, you know, the tail's going to be this color. And then, what they would do is they would basically when when I was doing one offs with manufacturers back in the day, they would just paint it and I was kind of stuck with it. And for the most part, like everything turned out the kind of the way I dreamt it. But now they typically will just I'll dream up something and then they'll paint me one sample. They'll send me a picture of a sample and then, you know, they go from there. I remember one specific instance. I literally took a picture of a tennis shoe. And I sent it to Muskie Innovations and I'm like, this is the color I want. Like the sole of the shoe is what I want for the bottom of this bulldog. The middle (laughs) of it is what I want for the body. And then that was kind of how it was. So yeah, the process still takes place. I can't say I've sent any pictures of tennis shoes to anybody recently. But (laughs) I didn't know if you're, if you were quite the artist and you're kind of drawing these all sketching them out and (laughs) not a painter. No. And then I'll, you know, I'll see, I'll see something. I mean, there's a lot of talented bait makers out there nowadays i mean things have yeah. really exploded as far as that goes in the past 10 years you know maybe i'll see something and i'll i'll screenshot it and i'll be like that'd be a cool bulldog color and but maybe we should change up this or change up that on it or and there, there's times i've seen cool patterns that somebody else has developed and i'll say hey you know can i steal that pattern i want to make it in a bulldog like we use um az mud puppy for example we've done mud puppy and everything that yeah. wasn't our pattern that was um Fat AZ musky products. That was their pattern. I said to Andy, I'm like, Hey, I want to get that done in like bulldogs and stuff. Can I steal that pattern from you? And I tell, I'll tell you what, I'll send you a, a bulldog in that color. And so I've done some of that too. That's cool. Especially for like, you know, we're, I feel like we're all kind of bait nerds. I mean, Gus has been starting to tinker around and make his own stuff. And I had like, just hearing you explain that just is like, hilarious to me because i feel like you know us three could sit around a campfire us four and i you know, sit around a campfire with a case of beer and just start throwing out ideas on you know man it'd be cool if the medusa looked like this or a bulldog looked like this like it <laughs> sounds like a really good time you know? <laughs> <laughs> we we would do that at shows you know like we'd be out yeah. to dinner at a show and we'd be talking colors and i would write notes down in my in my uh, phone and stuff like that it seems like I do more of it on my own these days versus having like a group of guys do it. Mm-hmm. I know that, but I, I also know that, you know, customers will say they, they offer up references. Like we go to shows and they'll be like, Hey, did you ever think about doing this color? Or did you ever think about that? Or I had this color from way back in the day and I always caught a bunch of fish on it. Do you think you could get something done like that? And so during shows, like I take notes from customers a lot. I get, I try to use feedback as often as I can. Right. I mean, if that's cool. kind of fool, yeah. kind of foolish if you don't listen to your customers. Right. Gus, do you have a question? Oh, I was just going to say something funny. Like Brian's uh, bait mod. He talked about the other day where all he did is cut off the top tail of a Medusa. So it's basically a double dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was your great <laughs> idea. 
<laughs> the husky medusa it's too big oh yeah it's too it big <laughs> pushes too much water <laughs> it, it um, is cool though with the custom colors because like everybody has such a different idea on what they like i mean it's crazy like even just with us three i mean brian i don't want to like throw you under the bus here but he's like a huge bright color guy like every time there's like the brightest bait possible i don't want to put, speak for you there brian but <laughs> wouldn't you agree like if you're looking at a box and it's like a bright orange bulldog you're like yes this is mine for the rest of the day yeah, yeah it depends on the lake and the conditions but yeah, <laughs> yeah sure, sure, sure. <laughs> right. yeah. well i mean he should find something on our website then because like bright colors has always been my thing in fact like as we've kind of progressed in this whole deal like i've had to try to start to think on both sides of the box like just because i like it doesn't mean that somebody else isn't going to want something different so i had to try to like expand my natural color selection too Right. So I guess I would be overwhelmed being in your shoes with the amount of bait color options that are in front of me. So when you do go fishing, do you just have like your three favorite bulldogs in your boat or or how do you organize what you're going to bring? Well, we used to do a lot of YouTube stuff. So there was a lot of times I would have, we'd have new colors out that year. So I would flip out to some newer stuff that we came out with. And so I would do that. I haven't done as much YouTube mostly because like the day-to-day business is just taking up too much time. And like the YouTube thing, I liked it. It was super fun. Like I, I love the editing portion of it. I like the, the creativity of putting it all together. I love the being on the water part. That was fun, but my wife still works a full-time job. My wife's an accountant. So she, for me to just go and schedule some days of fishing, which is what we did in 2019, 2018, 2017, I feel like it's kind of unfair to her like here I'm you know granted this is it is work related right but at the same point it's like all right you go work your full-time job then make sure you get the kids to whatever events that the kids need to go to and make sure you get them fed do the laundry and the dishes and then when you're done with that then make it out to the shop and pack the 40 to 60 orders a day that we get right now you know like so it's hopefully it happens sometimes but that's kind of that's kind of why I don't do as much but anyways, getting back to your your story or your question, Brian, uh, some of it's just the same stuff from last year. Like I still throw a lot of bright stuff. We get some new cool colors in and maybe one of them's got a scratch on it. And I'm like, all right, that one's going to go in my box. I, I'll tell you a story about Kiwi walleye bulldogs. So Pete Rich, he's a friend of mine. He guides up in the Hayward area. Also, he came up with the color and he's like, hey, I want this he's like, I had musky innovations do it. He's, he had the color already done. Like, he shows me the picture. He's like, but I want it in a pounder and I want it in this and I want it in that. And I got to order, I think 10, 10, 10, 10, and 10 of everything. He's like, I don't want to have 40 bulldogs that I need to try to sell off. He's like, well, you take on that color. So I'm like, sure, that's fine. And well, I did it for Pete and he got what he wanted out of it. It's never been one of our best selling colors, but Quite honestly, it's one of my best fish catching colors. So the only reason I still keep it around is so that I have a fresh supply when I need to get more of it. That's the only reason why I do it. And so that's probably one of my most favorite colors that we have. That and uh, Copper Carp Suix. For anybody that watched our YouTube videos back in the day, Copper Carp Suix were like, I, I it was like welded on my rod for probably about a season <laughs> and a half. I, every time we went fishing, I wow. caught fish on it. So yeah. it's hard for me not to have it. But I mean, in, in, in the process, we did sell a lot of copper carp suix, so that's good. That's so with, good. All, with all these colors and stuff that, I mean, you've tested out, you've used, you know, every color imaginable. Do you, are you a strong believer that muskies see all colors, certain colors? I mean, do you have any theories there? 
I think sometimes color is about confidence. Confidence is key when it comes to musky fishing. And I think if you're throwing a color that you believe in, that you like, that you think the muskies are going to eat, you're going to fish it harder, longer, better. And that in turn is going to help you catch more muskies. Like we'll use, you know, the Kiwi walleye thing. I don't know. Maybe if I was throwing a black and orange bulldog that day, could probably caught as many. I don't know. But they were eating Kiwi walleye. So I keep throwing it. You know, the right. same thing with copper carp suic. I mean, if I was throwing carbon perch or whatever, it doesn't matter. Pick any one of my have out there. Would have mm -hmm. caught as many fish, maybe, not sure, but it got bit early on in, and then I just had the confidence in it. And, you know, I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Confidence is key in musky fishing. Yeah. Cannot agree more. Um, all right. So I, man, I, I feel like I honestly could go a million different ways right now. There's like so many different things I want to ask you, but I, I do want to touch on this before, you know, we get too deep and, and we're not able to go back to it because, you know, obviously you're like, you talked about once you caught the musky bug, it was all you thought about, all you wanted to fish for. So the, the pre TRO days, pre family days, were, were you living in the Shiacton area and then driving up to Northern Wisconsin and fishing with all these guys. And it was just like a, a weekend ordeal, kind of what we're doing right now, essentially. Yes. Yes, it was. Like, okay. So I've been in the, like the Appleton green Bay Shiacton area for my entire adult life. There would be times where I don't, I don't know why I did this. Maybe I didn't think too much about sleeping in my truck or I wasn't super fond of it, but like mm -hmm. there'd be times where we would drive up to like Oneida County or Vilas County on a Saturday morning. We would literally fish all day long. Occasionally we would nap in the boat on the lake and then <laughs> we would drive all the way back home. And then we would get up on Sunday morning and we would go drive back up there again and do it all over again. <laughs> and so yeah. Again, I don't know why I didn't get places. I don't know why I didn't sleep <laughs> in my truck. I don't know what. Um, so we, so we used to do a lot of that. And then in the, like the very early days of my electrical business, I wasn't super busy electrically. Like the business was just starting out. I had a decent clientele, but not enough to keep me busy five days a week. Mm -hmm. So I had another electrician friend of mine and he was in the same boat. So we would literally just call each other up and be like, you know, what day you want to go fishing this week. So we would for sure fish two days over the weekend. And then I would fish one day, you know, during the week. And I mean, of course we had our best seasons then because time on the water, right? When you're on yeah. the water and you knew where they were five days ago or two days ago or three days ago, you could just stay yeah. on them, you know? So we were there, Northern Wisconsin. And then I would say in like the 2004 timeframe, Green Bay started to be kind of a thing a little bit. You'd hear rumblings about it, but it was never like it is today. Like I can look back to a story with me and my buddy. We went fishing on shark fin. If anybody knows, it's a super popular point on Green Bay, probably the most popular point on the West Shore. I have a picture of us holding a muskie on September 1st of, I don't remember what year it was, 2005, maybe 2006. I don't remember. There's not a single boat around, like wall, walleye boats only. There's no way you could get that picture right now. It's impossible. Yeah. There's boats on that spot 24 hours a day. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm a great musky fisherman, but like I had the time. So we just went and poked around. Like, I didn't care if I didn't catch muskies because I had, it, I was going to go fishing again in two days. So yeah. it didn't matter if I got skunked. Whereas now uh, I do less exploring and I don't, I don't like that part because like, I don't get a ton, ton of time in the water. And when you have time on the water, you would prefer to catch muskies. So I kind of go to the stuff I already know, but the exploring part was for me was the most fun thing. I mean, we would fish 30 different lakes for sure in a season. Now I'll be lucky if I fish five and I never fish green Bay almost like you won't catch me there unless it's 
October, November, when most people go hunting or whatever, I'll go to Green Bay then just because I, I love people. I like people. I like talking to guys like you and whatever. But when I'm out fishing, I don't like people that much. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> so you, you talked about, you know, the difference, obviously, the Green Bay back then and now. And, and I I could not agree more on the exploration front of things. I mean, I've told Brian and Gustus multiple times, like, if there's an option to trout a new lake on a day, we're all, you know, we want to do it. Like, we're down. I mean, we've, we've failed so many different times trying different stuff and whatnot. But, like, those few days where it all clicks and you're able to catch a nice fish on a new lake. I mean, it's one of the cooler things. Um, but you know, going back to the difference between green Bay back then and, and now, uh, same question kind of goes for like the Vilas and Oneida County area. I mean, do you feel there's much of a difference from those early 2000 years to, to what it is now up in Vilas and Oneida County? Um, as far as like pressure or quality, I guess just everything. Yeah. I mean, pressure quality, you know, yeah. I mean, I would say on some lakes, the pressure is higher now than it was when I first started up there, but I could still go to a bunch of lakes and find nobody around. Totally. And, you know, so you get that. I would say the quality is definitely higher. I don't know if we probably catch <laughs> my fish per hour right now is probably lower than it was back then. Cause I feel like, like, I don't get a ton of time on the water, but I have a few, like when I go out fishing, I assume I'm going to catch a muskie every time I go fishing as I feel like everybody that muskie fishes should feel that way. Sure. Like if you think you're screwed, you're, you should probably just stay home. Right. Yeah, so. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so I, you know, the experience, the time on the water part of it that I had way back in the day still applies. I mean, the fish are fish are fish, right? They're still using right. the same spots. Uh, baits have changed some, but not a lot. So I, I think that in my opinion, the northern Wisconsin stuff is still in as good a shape as ever. Like the Green Bay stuff, I uh, the numbers of fish, like, I mean, we'd go out there back when there weren't many people. And like for us to get a five fish day really wasn't that uncommon, I would say. Crazy. But you also wow. never saw those true super tankers like you do now. Like mm -hmm. the biggest one I've in all the time I spent on Green Bay, the biggest one I ever had in my boat was like 49 and 5 eighths. We've never gotten to 50 out of Green Bay, but the 50s have exploded in the last 10 years and I haven't been there to take advantage of it. So uh, right. you can only catch you can only catch what's in the system. And at the time, I feel like the, like there was some 50s, but not nearly as many as what there is. But there was a lot better numbers there, too. I mean, I fished a a tournament the best of the best tournament was something they used to have in october i believe it was and we had we were the leaders after day one with four i i mean i think people do have four fish days these days you know out there but they're not as common as they were back in the day like for us to say you know i i would i was on a really solid bite at one point where i knew if i was out there by seven o'clock in the or not seven six o'clock in the morning that between six and seven and if i was in a certain area i was going to get a chance for sure okay. i was going to yeah. i was going to get a bite like we were that dialed in because I was, I mean, I would literally, you know, darn near live out there. I had a reindeer 619. So if I wanted to fish, I wasn't worried about what the weather was going to throw at me. And so I was dialed in, like I said, it's time on the water. If, if you spend as much time as a guide does on the water, right. you, yeah. you can figure it out and you can stay on them, you know, and especially because green Bay fish roam, but they don't roam from the standpoint where like, they're going to be in this spot today. And then tomorrow they're going to be, you know, five miles away, they may have shifted a little bit, but you at least have a very good basis to start off of every single day. Right. I, I'm always curious about this, especially talking to people that did spend going back to the Vilas and Oneida County area and, and spent a lot of time fishing those lakes. 
you know, I think it's, I think it's pretty common, you know, common knowledge nowadays where there's so many destinational fisheries that, you know, you can go to Minnesota, you can obviously go up to Canada, to St. Clair, all these different places and catch massive muskie, but Northern Wisconsin is just not really known for its size. But I always like asking this question because I think it's kind of like the idea of catching a very large Northern Wisconsin fish. I think it's just different, right? It's just special. So I always am curious, you know, have you, have you come across a fish either caught, seen, had on anything like that in the Northern Wisconsin area from back in your heyday that you still think about it all? Yeah. Yeah. There was a one fish that was, it was early on my Pelican Lake days and yeah, Pelican was, had a really good size, but it didn't have really good numbers in it. So I knew if I wanted to find a large fish, Pelican was one that I could get. And like, oddly enough, it was getting to be like 10 o'clock in the morning. So I was going to, it's in Pelican's water was a little bit clear. So I was going to get off the lake and I'm casting around this one point and there's a fish that comes out of there. That was probably 48, 49, 50. I don't know. Like I'm not that great at judging fish in the water. Mm-hmm. It com- comes in following my double 10 bucktail. And I never did. I never did get it. I went around a couple times and then finally it just, it lost interest. And I've been, you know, I fished that spot. I don't know how many times, hundreds of times since mm-hmm. I've never seen a fish of that quality on that spot before. So I guess that's one that I, I can think of for sure. Like that was yeah. not that it was like, I lost it, but it was, I mean, it's one of those and that, back in my early days of musky fishing. I used to get like, I don't know. I want to say excited. That's because I still get excited. I still love it, but I, mm-hmm. I don't get like nervous, like, like, I don't know, like trembling, you know, like when you see a muskie <laughs> or you have a follow and, <laughs> I don't know if that's me getting older or, or what it is. I kind of wish it was that way still. I'm like, does that mean I don't like it as much, but I still seem like I like it as much, you know, yeah. but I don't get, I don't get that way, you know? And, and, and I, and I, and that was definitely one of those fish that did it for me. And it's weird. Cause like I used to, every time I have a fish on, I'd be like, your heart would be beaten like harder, faster. Whereas now I just like, I don't know. It's just, I, I love it, you know, but I'm, I don't get that same way in the boat. It's kind of right. weird. Cause I, you sort of miss that a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, no, I, I, I agree. Like, especially I think once we started fishing these tournaments, Gus and I, it's like, there is a difference between the the adrenaline rush between catching a fish in a tournament. And after you do that, then when you're out with your buddies and fishing for fun, um, I, I will still admit, I, I get very shaky when I have fish on, especially if it's a larger quality fish or if I have one into, into the eight the last few weeks, we've been moving some big fish and each and every time I have to sit there and take a deep breath and like, reassess life for a second like did that just happen <laughs> um but you mentioned that you you're fishing in tournaments were you doing that pretty frequently uh back in the day yeah i fished the pmtd quite a bit uh there was also a, a tournament on pelican called like the uh Warrell memorial classic or whatever it is it's still going on today i used to fish all those i loved tournaments tournaments were super fun i met a lot of cool people people i even talked to today yeah. and i I, I kind of at one point I got tired of like my schedule started to be really busy, not, not necessarily with the TRO because this was pre TRO, but my electrical business started to get really busy. Yeah. And so when I had time to fish, I got tired of being told where and when I needed to go fishing. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I stopped fishing tournaments. Like I remember specifically, it was like a, I think it was a leech lake tournament and the fish were really going on green Bay. Like I could have went up there and pounded fish all weekend long and I'm making a drive over to Minnesota only to get our butts handed to us all weekend. And I'm just, it was kind of like, that was like the turning point. I'm like, I know I, I could have literally went a half an hour from home, had a really good shot at fish 
And right. I, I had to go over to Leech Lake to go fishing. And I was like, if I could pick, that wasn't what I was going to, that wasn't what I was going to pick. But like I said, I met a lot of really good people. Surprisingly, by getting your butts kicked in tournaments, you still can learn a lot from those tournaments. If you're oh, yeah. willing to talk to people, you know, keep your, your eye, your eyes open and your, your ears available to people. You can really learn a lot from tournaments. So <laughs> I'm certainly not an anti-tournament guy. In fact, if you're a young musky angler, you know, I, I certainly recommend doing it, but it's just something I kind of outgrew and like the money portion of it, but not that money was like a major issue, but it was like kind of, it's kind of not a winning proposition. You know what I mean? Like, unless you come in first or second or, or third, or you come in or you do that multiple times in a season, you're not going to come ahead on the money side of it. Well, right. I mean, you're taking time off of work. You're going up against, you know, 80 to 120 boats that are all guys that can fish, you know, and, and like, again, a lot of musky fishing does come down to luck. I mean, there's probably certain people, every tournament that are on bites that other people aren't, but Gus and I have joked about this. It's like, very rarely do you talk to somebody pre-tournament and they're telling you, you know, yeah, no idea what we got to do tomorrow. Everyone feels like they're going to go out there and and have a chance to win, you know? Yep. So yeah, I get it. It's they're, they're tough. They're a lot of time. I mean, especially the, the pre-fishing aspect of it too. And, you know, having to drive around and do all that stuff, but that's cool. So when we're, you know, we're talking about tournaments, I talked about how much I met people, you know, on the road, but here's a, here's a funny or weird example. So I met this, I went, one of my first uh, tournaments was Kentucky. I go down to Kentucky and my partner had been to Kentucky before. So he set up our accommodations is where we were going to stay and who we were staying with. But I met two younger. Well, yeah, they're younger than me for sure. Not that I was old, but they were, they were younger yet. And, you know, I met two kids there. I'll call them kids. All right. Anyways, <laughs> I, I met them there. And, you know, we go, we're going through and I'm talking to the one guy and I'm like, you know, so where is it that you live? He's like, I live in Appleton. I'm like, huh, how about that? I'm like, well, where, whereabouts in Appleton? Well, it turns out his parents and my parents live like a mile apart from each other. Oh my God. You know? So <laughs> I, and, and I ended up meeting him in Kentucky at a tournament and, you know, like we're, we've been friends ever since. Like I, you know, got their numbers. I didn't know him before that, you know, for the tournament. In fact, um, Kyle, he's the one I was talking about. He helps me at a lot of the musky shows and, you know, he's been instrumental on like advancing our presence at musky shows as far as like some of the signage that we do in the present, you know, like, and just like kind of how we put everything together in the shows. So it's just kind of how, how weird, how the twists and turns take you. Like it, I had to go down to Kentucky to meet a guy from Appleton that was a mile away from me for probably my whole life. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I mean, the camaraderie, the camaraderie of the tournaments is, I think, the highlight of it. And um, we've talked to other people about that. It's like anytime you can get a chance to hang out with a bunch of people that are just crazy about musky fishing, it's typically a pretty good time because you're all a little bit sick in the head and you at least know you have that in common. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, it's like that's kind of why I like to go to musky shows. I love talking to people at the musky shows because yeah. we can hear a lot of those stories and, and you'd be surprised the type of tips you can pick up from guys at oh, the yeah. shows. You know, it's crazy. I mean, just, yeah. And like, once you start getting on that ramp, like it's even like tonight, you start swapping stories and talking about muskies and it's crazy how quickly that clock starts to run. I mean, Gus and I went fishing with two guys that are in the P PMTT circuit, uh, last two, two weekends ago. And, you know, we sat on the boat and talked to muskies all day. And the night before we were grabbing beers with them and talked to muskies the whole time then and <laughs> 10 hours straight. Those, 
Just talking yeah, those muskies. days went by quick. So. <laughs> yeah, just, just chatting muskies. Um, you know, all right, go ahead. The one thing I'll say though that's sort of disappointing within the muskie industry is, you know, you talked about how you met you met some guys, you were having beers with them, like within the musky industry it seems to be like there's a lot of i don't know like fighting and jealousy almost you know you see it on social media somebody catches a musky and somebody's got to inevitably say something about the hold or the measurement or you're holding it out too far you know what whatever the whatever it would be and like it's disappointing to me because we're literally all very similar we're all uh, you know we're all addicted to the same stupid fish and it's just it's disappointing to see how people treat each other over a muskie because like you said i mean how how similar we all are you'd think that we should be like a band of brothers but it's definitely not that way i know and it's not a giant industry either right i mean it's as i'm sure as you know it's it's a tight tightly knit community so yeah it is it is tough with the social media stuff i mean obviously we're a little bit younger and we've been on social media you know since growing up and i I feel like it's more of a product sometimes of just social media than the actual, you know, like if you see these people in, in person or if that guy that makes a mean comment was on the boat, he wouldn't be saying shit, you know, he'd be, he'd be pumped up and high-fiving and whatever. I mean, it, it, like, yeah. So what the, the fish looks really big in the picture. Great. Like that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's all reason why we pose with them is to, you know, look cool or at least we think we look cool, but yeah. Right. It's all about the memories. It's all about the moment. And, you know, some people are like, well, why do you bump a 38 inch muskie? Like, that's not for me to decide. Like, that's for somebody else to decide. Maybe that's their biggest fish. I have no idea. Right. But I'm not going to say something bad to them because they bumped the 38, 38 inch fish. I personally don't do it, but I don't fault anybody that does it. And that's just because I've held enough muskies in my day. I kind of have an idea what a 38 is. If my kids catch a 38, though, I might bump it for them. So they know, you know, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's just things like that i just i that's stuff i and i'm sure it's been taking place for a long time it's not just social media but within the musk industry it's like a, everybody's trying to tear everybody down and i just wish it wasn't that way to be happy that somebody caught a 50 inch fish i mean and just congratulate him and move on if, if you're jealous or whatever don't say anything just move on wise words i mean i my next question honestly was going to be what you know, what is your opinion of the overall state of musky fishing right now? And I, I do think that whole kind of social media side of things does play a part into what's going on because, you know, like, Hey, we're, we're guilty of it. We're trying to do the content thing where we made a podcast for Christ's sake. Um, you know, obviously you're in the podcast game too. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I think with so it's much more prevalent, right. Where people are posting their, their clips of this catch and there's, you know, if somebody does catch a big fish, it's getting circulated on not only their own page, but then, you know, you'll have other pages that'll pick it up and circulate it to their followers and stuff. And so I think you just get so many eyeballs on, on these certain clips or certain pictures that inevitably it feels like somebody's going to come across and say something stupid. So I agree with you. I wish it didn't happen, but um, you know, outside of the social media thing, you know, where do you think musky fishing is right now compared to, like I said, back in your heyday? I mean, do you, you feel good about where the state of the industry is and where it's going? Anything that anything you're nervous about for the future of musky fishing? Yes. I mean, I would say in, in certain instances, it kind of, maybe the people in Minnesota aren't as concerned about their fisheries as what I am. But to me, it seems like, you know, for the longest time, 
everybody was like, why can't Wisconsin follow Minnesota? Look at all their lakes. You know, they're pumping out giant fish. They have really good numbers. Their stocking numbers were really good. And, and it, now keep in mind, I don't fish Minnesota at all. So maybe their fisheries are in better shape than what I think they are. But they have very large fish. But I don't know that they're getting the stocking numbers that they need or should be getting to continue to have the same success that they used to. There also seems to be more opposition to stocking muskies in Minnesota than we, we see in, in Wisconsin. You know, there's groups like no more muskies in Minnesota. And so but I could be completely off base, but like those are things that I hear of. And so maybe that concerns me, you know, like I know the vermilion numbers used to be really good. But from what I hear, it's not as good as it used to be. And we all know about Mille Lacs, although I, I recently talked to uh, Matt Trino on my podcast about Mille Lacs. And I had I had heard through the grapevine from some people like that Kyle that I mentioned, he had been fishing over in Mille Lacs. He told me that they were seeing lots of small muskies. So maybe things are better over there in Minnesota than than what than what I think they are. And mm-hmm. and I hope they, you know, get it rectified. But the only problem with muskie fishing is it takes so long to fix a problem within muskie fishing. You know, if it, it's not something where like if you have whatever a terrible walleye population, you dump whatever a million walleyes in a lake in five years, you're going to have a whole pile of walleyes like it, this kind of was sort of, I don't know, the wrong way to think about it. But in some instances, some of these lakes, if you were starting a brand new muskie fishery today, there's a chance that I might not be able to fish it at its heyday, you know, because right. it takes so long for those those fisheries to to grow and and be, you know, fishable populations of muskies. So overall, I would say the state of Wisconsin is still really good for muskies. I think, you know, we do a yeah. lot of stocking in the state and we, uh, you know, the clubs do a lot of stocking. The DNR does a lot of stocking. So I feel like we're we're doing well here. From what I understand, St. Clair's all natural reproduction and there's no change there. So that's good. The you know, Michigan Muskie Alliances, they've been doing a lot of good things there. Indiana's starting to expand their muskie ranges. So I would say, you know, overall, the state of muskie fishing today, I think is still really strong. I was gonna ask, is there any chance that you think there could be over pressure or too much pressure in muskie fishing if it does continue to grow as a sport? I don't know. That's a tough question for me. I would say yes and no. I think at some point, you know, we can have, we can go down a whole different road with like the electronic side of things. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, as these fish get pressured, they start to move off traditional spots. And so you're going to have to go try to locate them other places. So I think nature has a way of protecting itself in, in that sense. But obviously with more anglers comes, you know, even if you're, even if you're a really good angler, you do everything right. Let's just say your delayed mortality is 10%. That means, you know, one out of 10 muskies that you catch isn't going to make it, you know? So Gus, I don't know how many muskies you got this year, 40, 50 of them, you know, 60. I don't have any idea, you know, yeah, maybe six, maybe six <laughs> of them aren't going to, aren't going to make it, you know, and that's tough to think, you know, and that's just the, that's just the reality of muskie fishing. Like we're all passionate about muskies, but realistically, if we were being completely honest with ourselves, the safest thing for the muskies is not to stick sharp hooks in their face. Right. Yeah. No. Right. Oh yeah. We've dealt with some pretty damn smart muskies. I swear. You know. <laughs> well, so, I, uh, yeah. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
So I do think that, you know, nature will kind of take care of itself. It's kind of like, you know, with um, uh, forward facing sonar, that's the hot topic nowadays. And mm -hmm. I'm sure there was some uproar. I can't remember the uproar with when side imaging came into place, but it was probably like, oh, this is going to destroy fisheries. Everything is screwed. We're all going down and somehow there's still muskies today. So I would imagine, you know, it'll, it'll continue into the future. Obviously, you know, we can't say it enough, like safe handling of muskies, as you guys know, is very important, you know, make sure you got mm -hmm. proper release tools. Everybody wants to have all the latest and greatest muskie baits and I don't fault them for them. Those are way more fun than buying a, a Nipex or a Nipex or, you know, and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. But having the, having the right gear is obviously super important. Time out of the water is, you know, super important. You know, I found that by me running, you know, GoPros and video in my boat, like my in and out time with muskies is a lot quicker because I literally will just hold it up in front of the video camera. I can see the viewfinder that I, I'm in frame. I'll hold it there for a few seconds, maybe, you know, quick once over through the camera and I'll drop it back in the lake. So I'm in and out of the water in, you know, 15 seconds, maybe. Whereas before, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was a lot longer than that. I'm not really sure. So I don't want to, you know, go doom and gloom. But I, you know, I'll kind of self shamelessly promote myself. Like we try to give back through Team Rhino Outdoors a bunch of money to a different, a bunch of different clubs for musky mm -hmm. stocking. And I, I don't want to say that's like completely out of the, out of goodwill. It's a, it's a business decision in a sense, right? So if there's more people on the water catching more muskies, they're going to need more gear. They're going to, you know, if, if the, time to catch a muskie is less they're going to introduce new people to the sport you know those are types of things that we that we think about i love muskies so i would love to give back to them anyways if for some reason i'm ever not doing team rhino outdoors and i can afford to continue to get back to muskie fishing i will but as of right now through our business i do it for for the business but i also do it for to do my little part to try to preserve muskie fishing into the future i wish we could do it everywhere but at some point i would like to pull a profit from this business so i can't continue to dump you know mm -hmm. mu muskies into every single lake throughout the course of many many states but we try to do our little part to help out you know with preserve the future for our, our kids and your kids and everybody else's kids and um, that's, yeah, awesome. that's awesome well, we, we appreciate you for doing that uh so quick pivot here because i i did want to get to this and ask you about it and i'm sure people that listen to this podcast probably are familiar with backlash but if they're not you know obviously go check it out but i want to hear from you you know what what was the motivation for starting that, that podcast? How did it even kind of come to fruition? And um, what was that like those early days? Like, because I know when we started this and we had the idea, we kind of toyed around with it, but then in the beginning, we're like, well, if 20 people listen, you know, we'll be happy, whatever. We don't really care. So was it kind of similar for you? I mean, you, I'm sure you had a following kind of just through TRO, but yeah, where did that motivation come from? And what were those early first few episodes like? Well, First off, I'll give credit to the musky podcast that came before us, right? So we didn't invent musky podcasts. We just kind of went along. We, we tried to find our own niche on it. So the Fat AZ musky podcast, as far as I know, they were the very first and the original people, OGs, we'll call them, of musky podcasts. And while I listened to their podcast, I'd often find myself wondering, like, what keeps people coming back to this podcast all the time? Like I, I liked the stories and that kind of stuff, but you really didn't learn anything. And then uh, there was a couple other ones that came along. I think maybe there was like road rules podcast. And I was like, yeah, they still just talk, but it's really like surface level talk. And so I was like, if I, if I did it, I would like to, I would like to do it and 
like try to help people learn how to catch muskies. So that was the motivation. And then I was like, but I bet you it's also probably good for business, right? I mean, sure. you yeah. talk about, talk about your company mm-hmm. every single, every single week. I mean, I'm sure you guys understand, you know, Gus, it's probably not going to hurt your guide business by having a podcast, is it? No, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's helping. So, and we're really enjoying doing it, you know, just having fun. Well, hopefully it, hopefully that keeps up. Cause I will tell you after 200 and some odd episodes that we've done, <laughs> I had this conversation with Brad recently that I need to, like, we've tried to do like five questions recently or whatever, come up with different questions and stuff like that. You're just trying to keep, you, you keep trying to reinvent the wheel a little bit because for me on my standpoint, like I've already had so many conversations about summertime muskies and it gets to be difficult that way. And so trying to keep it new and fresh. And I also think from my listeners standpoint, I'm like, if they want to hear this conversation again, they can just go listen to somebody from last July and they can listen to the same, <laughs> yeah. the same conversation or, or nope. similar. So it's, it's still, it still is fun. And the other thing too, is we try to do new guests. So, I mean, we're really trying to go down the road of trying to find new guests too. Cause I don't want to talk to the same old people every single week, because that was the other thing too, about some of the other podcasts is like, I'd hear from X, Y, Z guests, but I'd hear from them like every three weeks. And I'm like, yeah, I'd like to go deeper down the well than that. And right. so, you know, but Gus, I mean, you, since you do all the editing, it sounds like on this podcast, you understand mm-hmm. that when you find a guest that, Sometimes they get nervous, you know, and so there's right. a lot, there's a lot more editing that you need to possibly do when you go down that path. And so sometimes I don't take that path as often as I want to, just because I'm like, I'm in a hurry. I need to get the episode <laughs> out. I'm going to go to XYZ. I know he's going to nail it and it won't be a whole ton of extra work. So, right. Yeah. Oh, no, I uh, remember that's, when you uh, had me on your podcast, the backlash podcast, I, it was, I was kind of like lucky that we got to do two episodes already of this podcast. Cause I was, I would have been really nervous. I mean, I still was really nervous for that. I still get nervous even sometimes in this podcast doing it, you know, it's just, <laughs> it is what it is, but yeah, I don't even know. I mean, you're, you're a musky fisherman and you're not a public <laughs> yeah. speaker, you know, it's no, it's I was, I was always horrible lanes. at, horrible presenter at school i got nervous for everything so this is almost like a new thing to you know get me out of my shell and it's almost the same thing with the guiding it's really taught me how to you know talk to different people each and every day and that's a whole new challenge in itself i mean just you know getting new people in the boat and then you have to be with them for four five seven eight nine hours you know it can't be silenced the whole time because if they don't like to speak a lot and I don't either. Then it's awkward, you know, quiet boat. <laughs> a quiet I've boat. said it. I said it to many times. I don't know if I said it on the podcast or not, but like half of guiding is being an entertainer in a sense, you know, you have to be able to keep that person's attention long enough to keep them on the boat and having fun. Cause if they aren't having fun, like inevitably you're going to have days guiding where you don't catch them. I mean, it's just the way it is. I've got, mm-hmm. I've gone with lots of guides and we don't always catch them. And we have, yeah, I consider myself to be a decent stick. Are they better than me? Sure. Lots, probably you, all three of you are probably better than me, but uh, you know, one thing I can do is <laughs> Definitely I'm a, I, not Brian. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know him that well. I'll just assume he looks like he could probably catch more fish than me. <laughs> yeah, he, we'll he's got my fishing net on his wall. <laughs> but you know it is. I mean, it's every day. Yeah. Every day on a on a musky boat isn't. It's not all fun and games. There are days where you just slam them and it's awesome. But there's days where it's a struggle. I mean, I always kind of joke with Steve Jensen and and him. Like if he's got a good bite going. I'll come over and I could shut that thing down instantly. <laughs> and we always get, we always get the job done because we're just too stubborn and we'll just keep working. You know, we won't take breaks for lunch. Yeah. We won't, you know, we'll, I'll eat a Snickers while I'm throwing a cast and stuff like that. So when, when I need to, I'll always get the job done just based off of all working them basically, you know, you're just too stubborn to give up and then you can put one in the net. So yeah. it's, uh, um, so, so being a guide, you just, you got to be entertained. You got to be able to t- talk to people. You got to be able to tell stories. You know, we've, I don't know if you guys have ever talked to Phil Schweik or not, but he's a guide up in, uh, on the Mosini flowage in Wausau and Dubay. Man, he's got stories for days, like just a f- fun guy to be in the boat with. Um, even if you're not catching muskies, but he's pretty darn good at catching muskies too. Oh yeah. I, so since we're on the, the guide talk and you get to, or you have a uh, fish with a ton of guides, you probably talk to guides you know, on a weekly basis, I would say. And you usually, I know in your TRO, you have a bunch of custom colors from guides. Have you, this is a really random question, but has anybody given you, I guess in guide guiding, there's like guide talk, you know, while you're fishing. Is there any like funny phrase that one of the guides would say to their clients to be like, I don't know when things are hard or something like, for example, recently something that I've been doing when fishing weeds and, you know, new people fishing, in the weeds can be tough because a lot of musky baits sink and then you bring back weeds right away if you don't reel right away. And I always joke with them that it's like, oh, thank you. You're just raking out all those weeds, making it easier for the next clients to go fish this weed bed. <laughs> you know, so, something like that. I don't know because I can't remember back to my days where I wasn't like in the TRO position hiring guides, you know, so I can't remember back that far if they did. I would imagine. I would imagine they probably gave me some phantom follows that, you know, like, Oh, there's one. <laughs> that, well, yeah. well, like that. Well, I, well, I never, I never happened to see it, you know? <laughs> so I think, I think they all do that to an extent to put, you know, to try to keep people's interest because if you're not pretty diehard, musky fishing can be kind of boring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you ever consider becoming a guide yourself or did you ever take out trips? Never, never kind of was something never. you were going to think about doing. No, that was never something I ever wanted to consider doing. Like my hats off to the guides, like the stuff, you know, we use the weather we've had recently. It's 95 degrees out. The sun's just baking you. That's not a day that I want to be on the water, but your client doesn't care. Your client doesn't care that you've been on the water for four days prior to that, dealing with the same conditions every single day. That's their day. They like they've circled that one on the calendar. They expect it to be a fun day and and you got to put on your smiley face and and be happy and pretend like you like it, whether you do or you don't every single day, you know, there'll be days in October, for example, it'll be 35 degrees out and pouring rain. And I'll text my guide buddies and I'll be like, I'm not jealous of you one bit right now. Like that would be miserable to me. Like I'll stay here in the shop and put, you know, baits in boxes or I'll go wire stuff and I'll have just as much fun that day. Cause that's, (laughs) that's not fun to me. Right. I mean, no, I, I have a whole new respect for it too, especially after watching Gus kind of getting into it. Like I've, I've talked about this before, but it's like the fishing part is hard, hard enough in itself. And like, 
I think Brian and I will just take it for granted where we'll, you know, we'll drive up Brian from green Bay. I'll come up from Minneapolis and the boat's dialed. It's gassed up. All the baits are ready. Hooks are sharp, you know, all this stuff, like never have to worry about line being nicked. Don't have to worry about my leaders being, you know, kinked or whatever. Like it's all that shit that you don't want to have to do, you know, that, that Gus has to do behind the scenes, just as you have to do behind the scenes in your business. You know, it's not all, cool glory and selling cool baits and coming up with designs. There's probably a lot of freaking paperwork and, you know, I imagine your supply and all that, you know, everything. It's just the underbelly of all these different professions that I think the, that people don't see. That's like, that's what I now have the utmost respect for. Cause yeah, there's just a lot that goes on behind the scenes in the musky world. Yeah. I wouldn't disagree with you one bit. It's not an easy job. And, but on the, on the flip side, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you never hired a guide. I thoroughly recommend you do it for many different lakes. If you want, like, if you're looking to cut the learning curve, it'll help you cut the learning curve. These guys are on the water every single day. They know the patterns, they know what's going on. It's like, I talked about, you know, 20 years ago when I was musky fishing all the time, like I, I knew what was going on from, you know, day to day. I didn't have to go searching every single time. Well, now I mean, I went this last weekend, but prior to this weekend, I don't think it's probably been three, four weeks since I've been on the water musky fishing. Everything I got a, changes. I mean, yeah, three, four weeks, everything's changed. Yeah. I mean, I got a loose network of guides that I could have dialed up and and whatever, but I just didn't feel like talking to anybody about what really too much about what they had going on or or where the fish were. I was like, uh, I'll just go poke around and see what happens. I didn't really care too much. It was more about getting on the water, getting away from the shop than it was catching a musky. But you know, guides are out there all the time and they're so dialed in when they are, they know where they were yesterday or what they weren't doing yesterday so they can make those changes. And so I'm definitely pro guide. If you haven't hired one, definitely consider doing it. And it's certainly worth it. I just have one. This is a full circle back. I, I blanked on it earlier when we were talking about the early days of TRO and that's just it. I can't remember i feel like i listened to something where you explained it or is maybe in one of your old podcasts but where did the team rhino outdoors name come from that's always intrigued me even if i did hear it i totally forgot about it so let's hear that again all right so you guys are you guys old enough to remember phone books or not i remember them yeah yeah a little bit <laughs> so way back in the day I used for naming my electrical company. I didn't want to use my last name. I didn't want to use initials. I didn't want to anything. And so, and I didn't, I didn't want a lightning bolt associated with my electrical company logo because everybody's got a lightning <laughs> bolt. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I also wanted you to be able to go through the phone book. This is when people actually use phone books and be like, okay, which company did I use before? Oh, that was it. Rhino Electrical Services. That's that's what it was. So I named my company Rhino Electrical Services because I wanted it the farthest from actual electrical stuff. I didn't want a last name. I didn't want a lightning bolt. And with a Rhino, there was no chance you were going to get a lightning bolt in your logo. <laughs> and so Be that's a pretty weird logo. <laughs> yes. Yes. So there. So that's how that went. Fast forward. I don't know however many years and we'd get I had employees and I was always on the job or most of the time I was on the job and we'd come walking in and there was always some certain contractors. They'd be like, Hey, team rhinos here, you know? <laughs> so that's where the team rhino came from because they would always call us team rhino when we came onto the electrical job sites. Now in the beginning days of team rhino outdoors, I didn't, I didn't necessarily start out thinking this is, I was going to be a musky retailer. 
it started out as I was going to more or less go down the road of like keys outdoors. And so I was like, oh, team Rhino outdoors and eh, eh, whatever. This was, this was like a fun little joke kind of like we were just playing around. Like it wasn't really supposed to be, I don't know. I didn't have this like grandmaster branding plan or anything like that, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. So then we were doing that. Well, then there were some companies that approached me. They we were starting to get a following on Facebook and they were, they wanted me to do some like giveaways and stuff for them. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. So they sent me some baits. We'd run some giveaways. I would ship this stuff out. And then I was paying for all the shipping. So I'm like, well, there's really no benefit to me to do this, but I'm like, maybe if, you know, maybe if I sold some baits that would help cover my costs. But I was like, but then I would probably need to deal with taxes and the whole thing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's when I jumped in and started asking manufacturers, like if they would want to, you know, get involved with me doing custom colors type stuff, because I was like, yeah, it would be, a, you know, a way to offset it. And then I kind of thought, thought fast, fast forward to, you know, maybe down the road, it would be something that could actually be a living. So that's the story behind Team Rhino Outdoors. There's really no great master plan. It was just a playoff what people called us when we walked on electrical job sites <laughs> and it's that's and cool. it's stuck. And nowadays I I can't change I can't turn back, I guess. You know, like we've people know us as that, people know us as TRO. So I I, I can't make any changes. I don't know what I would change it to if I if I could, but at this point yeah, we can't. And it's a good name. I think it's I think it's perfect. It rolls off the tongue. I like the TRO that part. That just sounds cool, which, you know, like it with, so we, we had some crude, crude, um, logo designs way back in the day, but if anybody's ever noticed like the T, the R and the O on, on most of our designs, they're like outlined separately from the rest of the words. So like it's, it's kind of highlighted TRO within the logo. Yep. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So, and I didn't, I didn't take credit for that. I had a gentleman down in West Virginia design that logo up for me. So. Very cool. The last question I got for you, the man that has thousands upon thousands upon thousands of baits. If hypothetically you had three baits to go up to a Northern Wisconsin Lake with, what would those three baits be? For sure. Going to be a bulldog for sure. And that's not a slight on Medusa's back when I started muskie fishing, there was no such thing as a Medusa. It didn't exist. Like you want to throw a rubber bait, uh, you could have thrown like a live action big Joe, but never my thing. The I I my very first guide trip I ever took was with Steve Jensen, so he handed me a bulldog. So I kind of just got started on bulldogs. I've caught fish on them, and so I've always just kind of grown up on bulldogs. Like I said, I, again, Medusa might do the same thing. It might even be better. I don't know. I don't throw them that often. I a bulldog is a confidence bait of mine. I've had it before. Well, I'll try to throw Medusa. And then I'll change up after 25 casts and then I'll throw a bulldog for a little while and then I'll catch a muskie. And I'm like, hmm, great. Was that a self-fulfilling prophecy? Like, would I have caught a muskie on a Medusa if, if I had thrown that or, or what, but it's, it's confidence. It goes back to that. I, I told everybody about confidence earlier and, and it still does. Mm-hmm. So I would have either a Magnum or a regular size bulldog and color choice could be yours my color choices always start with kiwi walleye and again that's a terrible selling color so i'm not trying to sell it i don't care if you <laughs> i don't care if you buy it in fact if you buy it i'll probably have to order more of it just so that i have them in the shop but that color i'm, is I'm buying not, one tonight i'm buying one tonight <laughs> it's 
It's not a good selling color at all. It's not. It's a fish catching color. It would have been discontinued long ago if I didn't like it and I didn't catch muskies on it. Like we don't sell that many of them. That's so that hilarious. that would be my first color choice. My second one would be 10 inch weighted suic. And uh, I I like I like the 10 inch weighted because it seems like it's more consistent. I, I like the nine inchers, but sometimes it's like I have nine inchers that I can't always get to tune exactly the way I want them. Or it seems like I have a little less tuning problems with tens. And in my experience, the muskies, the small muskies don't care if it's nine or 10. They seem to eat tens with no problems. Yeah. So that would be my other one. Oh, boy. Now I got to go down the other road. One more. I mean, I would have to say it's going to be a bucktail at some point, but. Uh, no, actually, I think I'm going to have to go with a fat bastard. It's going to be a topwater fat bastard for me first. Love like that. everybody wants to catch fish on bucktails and I'm sure that tons of people do, but a bucktail is, it's not the first thing I go into my box to grab typically. And I just don't have as much success on bucktails as other people do. I don't know if I'm just a bad bucktail fisherman or what, but we've often uh, wondered that too. <laughs> yeah. We're not great at it either. So I don't, I mean, I, and honestly, I don't know if there's a way you could really be that bad, but if there is, apparently I'm it because <laughs> I, I don't catch tons of fish on bucktails. We sell tons of bucktails. So obviously somebody is catching muskies on them. It's not us. It's not me. So, uh, but if I was to pick a bucktail, I don't know, I'd probably go with like a, something from mayhem, either double showgirl or eight, nine stagger from musky frenzy or something like that. But those, those three 10 inch weighted suic, regular Magnum bulldog and a fat bastard would be the three that i would say that you have to have we've like put most fish in the net in the last i don't know handful of years on that stuff and i only say regular bag bulldog because some guys are like we got to throw mags but i don't know lately i've been throwing regs once in a while too and they're super easy on your arms and i've caught plenty of muskies on regulars but a quick story on that though i don't want to i don't want to drag on my story too long sometimes i feel like i talk too much but the Good. the reason i said reg or mag is so i'll go back to a story i fished with steve jensen i don't know i'm trying to think how long it's been it might be three years ago we we're throwing mag dogs the entire time and i think we maybe caught like one fish well then he has a client literally the next day that says nope i am not going to throw that mag dog i'm only going to throw a regular bulldog and of course they caught three muskies that same day on reg bulldogs and i was so <laughs> mad at steve because i'm like seriously i could have been throwing reg bulldogs for the last three days <laughs> instead i had to get tortured with mag dogs and they're not even that bad but if you throw a mag for i don't know three hours and you throw a regular bulldog for three hours yeah, we're all regular different. feels like nothing yeah but a, but a mag dog isn't that bad for me either I'm, I'm so used to throwing them but that's my story that's why i would say a regular or a mag and then last year i i went out a couple times i threw reg dogs and i was catching fish on reg dogs too they don't sink yeah. as fast either I know Gus loves the reg dogs and that, that literally happened to us a few weeks ago where I, I was fishing up in the front of the boat. Our friend Parker was right next to me and we were fishing like seven, seven to nine feet and pretty thick covered weeds. And you know, the, the rubber bite had been going pretty good. So he was just ripping a, a, a bulldog over the weeds and just crushing his shoulders. And I was just kind of put it, pulling in a, pulling in a bucktail at a normal, normal pace, looking at the clouds, not really thinking about much and ended up getting a follow a hooked fish and a codfish. He's like, screw this, screw this. I'm taking this thing off. I'm throwing a bucktail. <laughs> if, if, I, if you can catch fish on that, like, it's just kind of funny. But 
Well, look, we, we can't thank you enough for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, the backlash podcast obviously was a, a huge influence on us, you know, starting this. So, um, this was a, this was an honor. We, we really enjoyed it. So thank you for your time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm glad you guys invited me. It's nice and weird to be on this side of it, you know, where people are asking <laughs> questions at yeah. me. I wasn't sure how that would go. Hopefully, Gus, I didn't say too many ums so that you got to edit that. I don't know if you edit ums no. out of your podcast or not, but here and there, uh, I I do know that I definitely caught myself saying some. And so you might have to edit a few of those out of there. But for the most part, awesome. I tried to do the best I could. I'm I'm kind of well versed in the whole like talking about musky things. The whole 200 and odd episodes that we've done has definitely helped <laughs> lay the groundwork. Yeah, I, I w- Someday I want to go back and listen to episodes one and two, but I just can't Ooh. I can't do it. I'm afraid to do it. So <laughs> I don't I don't want to know how bad it really was in the beginning. <laughs> oh, for what it, for what it's worth, you know, you guys have uh I've listened to some of your episodes. Usually if I wire stuff, I'll listen to podcasts and I've listened to some of your stuff and you guys sounded more professional than we did to start out with. I'm, I almost guarantee it. Just so you know, steer off to wow. a better start than we were. That's high praise. Thank you. Yeah. I thought the first few episodes that we were just talking into like a tin can, nobody had good mics or just on our laptops and using like the, I don't know, iPhone headphones and mic, but it's, yeah, we got we got the equipment now, and I hope at least that we sound better. We sound more professional. I hope. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> try to keep it lighthearted and have some fun with it as well. But right. yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Your podcast has definitely been a major influence. Yours is, I was going to say it before, it's the one where I've taken the most notes because I know you talk to the guides, and you, you and Brad do actually a really good job at you know, plucking some pretty good info out of some of these guys where you're like, I don't know how you got that out of them, you know, to be able to share that. Cause those are some, those are some secret secrets. Yeah. In some cases though, like that's the stuff that I wish we could go a little bit deeper on, but I know guides get paid money to give up that information too. So I understand. I don't want to hurt their business at all. I'd like to help their business. I would prefer not to, you know, go down certain holes with them Uh, The other thing, too, is like as our episodes, we used to do the, you know, I don't know, we're probably running on hour and a half on this episode, but like we used to do hour and a half long episodes all the time. And as I've spent more and more time editing, our time got less and less. So now for us to hit an hour, eh, it's that's kind of it's kind of a tough stretch. We don't hit an hour too often. You'll see. I I hope you guys can keep it up. Like I said, with the same passion that you have now, we still have fun with it. But there's times I wish we could have these kind of conversations just a little bit about like, I don't know, like nothing. It seems like we almost like have a format nowadays. And I wish we could get away from that a little bit, too. So, I mean, my recommendation to you is don't be afraid to change it up. Your audience will still listen and and they'll still tune in. Hopefully you guys get a bunch of people that listen to your podcast already. Like I said, there's I mean, there's no reason they shouldn't listen to yours. They should can't get enough musky podcasts, right? You know, yeah, that's what we hope. A lot of a lot of oh, yeah. like musky guys, I feel like spend so much time on the road too. So it just I don't know. Like I that's kind of where my thought process came. It's like you got a long car ride. I mean, you're gonna go musky fishing. Like I remember I used to, you know, I'm sure we'll we're probably done with the interview now, but like literally like if if I was going up in July for a weekend, like I would go back, like you said, and listen to old backlash podcasts from like the end of June to like going up to July just because I'm like, okay, what was going on last year at this time? You know, is it going to be similar stuff? And like, I remember doing that a lot in the fall too, or, 
like just hearing about, oh yeah, this week was really hot. And it's like, oh, this week that we're about to fish is going to be really hot. How are these guys catching fish? And it's, it's definitely helped out. So, I mean, yeah. And I also, I'm literally about to go buy that Kiwi bolt, Kiwi walleye bolt. Right <laughs> He's got a bolt oh. up already. <laughs> yeah. I'm, t- I'm telling you, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Whoops. There's it's it it's not, cart. it's not, it's not flashy or cool. It's just, it's just out there. Like I said, it's just a, it's just another bulldog, but it catches muskies. I know the I, exact lake and spot I'm going to throw it on. So huh, no <laughs> way. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Well, guys, I want to thank you again for, you know, having me on. It's been fun. Like I said, it's cool to be on this side of it once in a while. I, you know, I'm not a musky guide. I don't have all the answers, but I've, I, def- I definitely have had some experience on the water. But if anybody is looking for the latest and greatest in musky fishing, if you want the largest color selection that you're probably going to find anywhere, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. And then, you know, Gus, I know we've had you on our podcast before, but if you're also, you know, if you're into musky podcasts, you're obviously you are, or you wouldn't have heard this interview check out our backlash podcast. We come out with a new episode every single Wednesday and we try to keep it new, fresh with different guides. So sometimes we have some pretty obscure names that aren't household names in musky fishing. But I I always say everybody fishes different spots, but their tactics can be applied to your waters. So listen with an open mind and just try to take away some some things that you think you can apply to where you're fishing and not necessarily like just dismiss them because, oh, they fish in West Virginia and I don't fish in West Virginia. Well, some of the stuff that they do down there can help you out where you are. So thanks again, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. Cool. Thanks, Jeff. We appreciate it a lot. Thank you. All right, Gus. Well, that was a pretty awesome interview. We can't thank Jeff enough for coming on and uh, shooting the shit with us schmucks for a little bit. Some of those insights were pretty interesting to hear about um you know i am a big uh user i guess of team rhino outdoors and so getting to talk to him was pretty cool and learning a little bit about how the business started and you know kind of how the meat and potatoes of it all works was uh was great so again can't thank him enough for his time gus it's getting late for me i'm about to head to bed i'm sure the people are probably wondering where fishing is headed this week so i'm gonna hand it over to you and sign off for the night um have a great week with your guide trips and we'll be in touch yeah so last week uh where we left off from the last podcast the rubber bite still continued to be very very good uh that's where we got pretty much all of our bites except for right during peak moon phases we got them to go on blades and i think that's just been key i don't know just finding those bites in between moon phases and and just sticking sticking with confidence lures it's just it's been key to get a rubber bait out there that's been my confidence that's the confidence that i have in the boat right now to put a fish in during a really really difficult weather conditions luckily last week we were also able to land some tiger muskies which is pretty cool we've been seeing kind of more tigers this year than really in any past year I don't know if any anybody out there is having similar sightings or catches with tigers. I don't know if it's the up and down weather or the colder temps, because I know pike favor cold water. So that might be where the 
pike blood and the tigers are where they're kind of firing up on some of these cold fronts and where the water temps are. And I don't know if anybody has anything interesting to add for that, or if they've been catching some tigers, we'd definitely like to know. And as for what to expect, well, this podcast is going to come out after the full moon, but I, uh, I took the weekend off before that. I uh, did not do any fishing, but it is Sunday night. I was able to get out with a good friend and in the first hour uh smacked a 45 on a bucktail so uh it seems like just the same thing is going just bucktails and rubber that's like the name of the game right now to get fish in the boat and get numbers and i know i'm sure there's going to be a pretty decent topwater bite rolling into sunset or possibly at the night bite with this full moon period coming but i'm going to take a quick look at weather Water temps are still hovering in those mid-70s. It's 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 going to get hot again, but I think it's still going to stay relatively cool enough for lake temperatures. I mean, maybe you have to be aware if you're on a very, very small stained lake, it could spike. You never know. So just be aware that, you know, if, it's, if it is up in those sketchy temperatures and, and you don't want to you know, have added mortality to any of these fish, uh, it's, you know, just switch lakes, you know, do something simple like that to give back and make sure you keep these fisheries the way they are. Cause that's just what we want to do is keep as many muskies out there as possible so that we can all catch more and, you know, have a lot more fun. But this week I, I just, I just expect the same bite to be going. I don't want to sound boring there, but that's what I'm expecting this week. Uh, we'll see if it stands. We'll see if we have to pull out any, you know, tricks out of the bag that we haven't in a while. But I would assume that I'm going to be switching between a lot of bulldogs and tubes. That's going to be the mainstay for rubber category. And as for bucktails, you know, I think I'm going to be starting to transition to much larger bucktails and especially getting the speed up on moon phases or when that water temp starts to get a little bit you know into the more mid 70s or so you can kind of get the bucktails rolling at a quicker pace sometimes it's the colder water that makes it harder we're we're seeing a lot a lot less going on with the cold fronts and bucktails and that's when the rubber and the and the, and the diving rise was shining and then as soon as we got that heat and wind you could get it seemed like you could get a bucktail fish to at least move sometimes out of a window all day so just kind of be prepared to switch around there you know be sure to keep your confidence lure on for you know the whole time if you can but switching is going to be key because the weather it can always change you know we're going to get some heat i'm assuming there's going to be humidity with the heat if we're going to be back in the 80s and with that, it's going to be storms, and that's going to be obvious choices for bucktails and topwater to get the most amount of action and cover the most amount of water. So I hope you use these quick tips for the next week, and sorry if I was a little lackluster on that. Um, the last week, I, like I said, it's just been the same, the same gig, and I expect pretty much the same thing, and I was gone during the weekend, so I don't have any new news but I wish everyone the best of luck on their fishing this upcoming weekend. 
And before we sign off, I'll quick give the socials. Uh, you can follow us at Muskies on Tap on Instagram. You can also follow, and it would also be great if you could follow my guide service page, Suggs Fishing on Instagram, as well as on Facebook, uh, my personal profile, Gus Manti, and guide service profile, Suggs Fishing Guide Service on Facebook. And feel free to reach out to my phone number, 920-264-3816. Can't thank Jeff enough for coming on to this podcast. If everyone could go check out Team Rhino Outdoors and Backlash Podcasts, that would be great. Uh, he's a great guy, and I really, really had a great time interviewing him tonight and with the fellas. And and uh, as we speak right now, they're all actually in bed doing this closing on my own. So we got no Brian to take us away. Uh, I don't think I can do that for him in his shoes. It's just something that I think we always <laughs> we got to have him do. So with that being said, I'm signing off. Thank you to all the listeners again for listening to another episode of Muskies on Tap. Good night, everyone. Thank you.